This is Reno Lovison, executive producer at ChicagoBroadcastingNetwork.com, an eclectic Chicago-oriented media showcase of lifestyle content related to multicultural and age-diverse people, art, music, theater, and events. Connie Corcoran Wilson is the author of over a dozen books. She's a frequent film reviewer and political commentator. Originally from East Moline, Illinois, she splits her time now mostly between her home outside Austin, Texas, and her condo in downtown Chicago. Some ChicagoBroadcastingNetwork.com followers might be familiar with Connie's contribution to our video coverage of the Chicago International Film Festival, which you can find at our website. You can learn more about Connie Wilson at her blog, WeeklyWilson.com, which is also home to her podcast of the same name that includes an array of diverse guests talking about a variety of topics. Since ChicagoBroadcastingNetwork.com is specifically dedicated to topics related in some way to Chicago, Connie has agreed to share a few of her recorded interviews of Chicago authors and celebrities that we feel are of particular interest to our listeners. Let's take a listen to Connie's interview after about 20 seconds of our theme song, Foster Avenue Beach by Steve Solomon. To the passionate about politics do you love movies well you'll find a home here let's talk connie c wilson a small business owner writer and educator covers the gamut from film festival directors to the latest political debates of our time you can't pigeonhole connie wilson and she likes that just fine so please welcome the host of weekly wilson connie c wilson hi This is Connie C. C for Corcoran Wilson. I'm coming to you live from my basement in East Moline, Illinois. Tonight's guest, Spike at the Mike Odell, whose father was East Moline's chief of police for years. Spike began his career in radio at WEMOAM in East Moline in 1976, moving on to a part-time job at WQUA AM, and then in 1978 to KSTT AM. It was awarded the James A. Lovell Failure is Not an Option Award. I I want to be on the list for that one, 2003, and in 2014 became a member of the WGN Radio Walk of Fame. Spike was voted Billboard Magazine's Top 40 Personality of the Year for a Media Market in 1987. But in July of 1987, Chicago's Dan Fabian of WGN hired him away from the Quad Cities, and he was on the air in Chicago from 1987 until December 12, 2008, when he retired young, I might add, and moved to Nashville with his family. His parting comment at his last show from the Metropolis Theater in Arlington Heights, it was a good ride. So welcome, Spike, and tell us, where have you been riding lately, and what have you been doing since 2008? Well, that was like my obituary right there. That was perfect. Have I been working, or have I been working? (laughs) You've been working, yeah. Yeah, that was perfect, yeah. I've been uh, off the air for, uh, well, what was the date? You know it better than I do. It's been about uh, 12 (laughs) years now. 
And we're down December here 12th, in, uh, yeah. in the Nashville area, which we just absolutely love down here. Uh, I have become a poster boy for doing nothing at all. I, uh, I'm only doing what I want to do. I'm not answering an alarm clock. I'm not getting up at 2.30 in the morning anymore. And that's exactly what I had planned. So uh, life is good in Brentwood, where we live, Brentwood, Tennessee. Well, I, I know that you've been doing a few things because I know you're painting and you are really good. Anyone who has Thank seen you. your stuff, really good. Are you going to have any kind of shows or anything with your painting? You know, I've, I've been collecting a lot of paintings. I, you know, I always kind of dabbled with, I'll tell you who I really admired and who, who really got me started on this was a Quad City artist named John Bald. And he you- had an art gallery down there in uh, the, the village of East Davenport. And I used to walk in, and I used to I used to look at the stuff and go, how, "How the heck does he do that?" And I just got to know him a little bit. I asked him questions, so I went home, bought some stuff, tried tried it a little bit, but I I, I didn't really have time because you know I just with with all the work and everything, so I I didn't have time to really <clears throat> devote a lot of uh, effort to it. But since I retired, I have I really knuckled down, tried to take it serious. And uh, I tell you, every every one you do is a little better than the last one. So I just I try to paint something every day, and I, I've really enjoyed myself. It's it's a lot of therapy. I am collecting some stuff for shows. I've been selling a few prints here and there. So uh, I, I don't take any money for it. I, I, I give it all to charity. But uh, it, it's uh, it's something I always wondered if I could do. I when I get my heart set on trying to figure something out, I don't stop till I figure it out. I'm not saying I have painting figured out. I, I don't, but I'm trying to figure it out. Let me put it that way. Well, you, you, I've seen your stuff, of course, on Facebook's page, and, and I think it's really good. I'm not saying that just to be pleasant, although I, I could, I suppose, but I also loved the you introduced charity. You've done a whole bunch of stuff for charity. Tell the listeners about Wham Bam Traffic Jam and also the Bite Your Butt Mustard. <laughs> wham bam traffic jam. That is a jeez. Uh, that's a story in itself. I tell you how that whole thing started. I could not sleep one night. I was living in Moline, working a kick, and I, you know, I used to go to bed at seven o'clock, and by eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, I was still rolling around in bed. I couldn't sleep. I had this rhyme going around in my head, and I thought, ah, heck, I'm going to get up and go to the station and work on it. So I. I got to the station about 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning. I didn't go on the air until 5. So I just started writing lyrics and putting it together in the production room and put together a crude form of it. And it had a three-minute early rap song, kind of, actually. Wham, bam, traffic jam. Every day you find another, and it's longer than the other. It's a wham, bam, traffic jam. <laughs> it just it grew itself. I just I, I couldn't sleep. That's what happens when you don't sleep. And a, and a record producer, Bill Fry, heard it. He liked it because I was playing a, a crude version of it on the air. He says, we could do this pretty good. We can go to a recording studio and make this a lot better. And uh, he says, you can make some money. I said, well, I can't make money with you know the, my contractual uh, stuff through the station. But I said, we can give the money away. So that's what we did. Uh, we, uh, we made some money and gave it away to charity. 
and, and quite a lot, uh, judging from the the bite your butt mustard. I read uh, that you hadn't really anticipated that the mustard would would you know be anything huge, and you sold sold something like four hundred thousand jars, and I don't know what what time frame, but really fast, uh, also for charity. And uh, and you once said. You can do an hour. I may ask you to do this later. Uh, an hour on pencils and mustard. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a joke, Laurel. But yeah, we. Uh, I, I I like this uh, this sweet hot mustard that I always made, and and we were talking about it. And I brought some in the station. Everybody liked it. We were trying it on this and that. And they were going, man, that's good. So this guy that that uh, that mass produces that stuff, he says, let's do some. He says, we can, uh, you know, you, we'll make you a couple of cases. You can sell it for charity or give it out, whatever you want to do. So I said, oh, okay. Well, you know, I said, how much should we make? And uh, I think we settled on three or four cases of it, which, you know, maybe 100 jars of this mustard. And, uh, and, I, and I gave it to a little specialty shop. And I said, if you want some, it's out there. You can go get it. It was gone in a half hour. So that's what started it. We sold... Mustard, uh, three different types of mustard. We sold uh, chili fixings. We sold uh, hot sauce. We sold. You've got. Uh, oh man, it went on and on. I, I I developed a thing called jump juice, which was a cilantro vinegar, kind of like a chimichurri sauce. We sold. Well, hold a lot that of thought. That. Hold hold that thought because they're telling me we have to do commercials, which is always the Again? fun part. So yes, every few seconds. So just Here hang in there. I- Start talking. I got to do a commercial. (laughs) This is a terrifying, intense story of the dark people and places that lurk just beneath the surface of seemingly normal, small-town America. Tad McGreevy dreams about evil in horrifyingly vivid detail, but doesn't know if the evil acts he witnesses in his nightmares are happening now, are in the past, or are going to occur in the future. Thankfully, he has a power that he has never revealed that will allow him to wage a battle to the death against those who would harm the ones he loves. Read The Color of Evil by Connie Corcoran Wilson. This is Connie Wilson here with Spike at the mic. You were on the air when a lot of things happened, so fill in this blank. I was on the air when what? Wow. As a matter of fact, that's going to be the name of my book if I write it. It seemed like I was on the air when all when all hell broke loose. When I wasn't uh, I wasn't at WGN very long before the mayor of Chicago died, Mayor Washington. I was on the air then. Uh, I was on the air. Oh, when uh, oh, when the Oklahoma City building blew up, I was on the air. Uh, when the Rodney King. Uh, uh, verdict was read. I was on the air when the O.J. Simpson verdict was read. I was on the air when uh, when Bob Collins, our morning man, was uh, tragically killed in an air uh, mid-air collision, and I had to tell all of Mid America that that he had died. I was on the air when uh, the airplanes flew into the buildings in New York. I uh, I it just it just seems like I was always on the air when something horrible was happening. Uh, so that that would be the name of my book. So you have been uh, through a lot of famous uh, events and a lot of famous guests. And I know I hate it when people say, well, who have you uh, interviewed that was really bad? Because I will never answer. But who, but who are some of your really favorite guests? 
Uh, boy, it's a tough one, but it's a question I get asked a lot, and I do have an answer for that. But working at that radio station in Chicago, if you're in town or if you're anybody wanting to promote anybody, that's that's the station you went to. So whether I liked it or not, I was going to be talking to him. So as a result, I talked to royalty. I talked to presidents. I talked to... Uh, uh, I talked to sports stars, movie stars, rock stars. I talked to the Beatles. I talked to, uh, you name it, uh, uh, Michael Jordan. Just anybody who was anybody in town, I was talking to him all the time. Uh, but the ones that I like the most, and you're going to call me a geek for this, but I'm, a, I'm an outer space fanatic. I love space. I love the astronauts. And the astronauts were the, uh, were the interviews I loved the most because these were the guys... They were my heroes when I was a kid that, uh, that strapped their butt to a bomb and let them light it and go into the sky. Uh, these were the guys that walked on the moon. These were the guys that, uh, that the nation just, uh, just held ticker tape parades for. My very favorite interview was Alan Shepard. He was the first American in the space. Uh, and he was also uh, on Apollo 14. He, went to, he, he walked on the moon, played golf on the moon, as a matter of fact. Uh, he was only scheduled for about a 20-minute interview, but he stayed an hour and a half because we were having so much fun. It was just—he's uh, a little guy. He's not very tall. Uh, he's kind of a slight build guy, but with a real deep, booming voice. He was the commander. He was—you uh, could tell—he was in charge. Uh, he was—he was my probably all-time favorite uh, interview. I, I mean, I have a lot of favorite interviews, but he was. He was probably the one I would put at the top because it was just, it was mesmerizing to talk to the guy who was the first guy to go into space for the United States. Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever had a, an interview like this one where we are not together in the same area? I'm sure you were. Uh, that Have had anybody no show where you were planning to do uh, X amount of time with Alan Shepard, let's say, and, and there is no yeah. Alan Shepard, and he just doesn't show oh, up? All the time, yeah. <laughs> all the time I had a lot of no shows. But that's where uh, my master in BS came in handy because uh, – <laughs> Uh, everybody said, uh, you talked about it earlier, they said you could talk about anything, or every, everybody that I worked with says, Odell, he can talk about anything for an hour, and they, uh, they challenged me to do an hour on a pencil, uh, and an hour on mustard, which I did. And if I if I could pat myself on the back, they were pretty good shows. <laughs> well, I love you, those shows. I actually have recordings of them somewhere. I bet you put in the time though. You didn't just show up and start talking about oh, mustard without. Yeah, I, I did my research. Yeah, and of course research. here, I sold a lot of mustard for charity. We sold <laughs> over a million dollars worth of uh, mustard for charity. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, I read that as your time at the station was winding down, uh, you kind of they came to you at one point and said you couldn't use certain words on the air, and one one of them was you couldn't use degrees when talking about the weather. And <laughs> you've done your homework, young lady. <laughs> Question: What what were the other ones you couldn't use on the air? Oh, I, it was just, it was silly stuff. I, you know, I, I honestly I don't remember, but I do remember the degrees one. Uh, it was, you know, I always say it was somebody, some consultant somewhere trying to earn their money by giving down a command. You know, that, that's what it, that's what the radio was starting to get really goofy to me. Uh, it, they were, they were taking away the, uh, the personality, uh, you know, what a person did best 
and they were they were making you conform to little cue cards that they'd already written up. You had to say it exactly this way and that way. I want to ask Spike about the morning that he did mention earlier where he had to go on the air and inform listeners of the death of his predecessor in the morning slot, uh, who was known as Uncle Bobby. Can you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, it was uh, it's, it's very sad. Very, I was I was numb the whole day. Uh, I don't re- really remember much about it. I haven't heard any audio from that from that morning because I don't want to hear it, quite honestly. But uh, it, it was very very sad. Uncle Bobby Collins was he was the franchise. He was the uh, he just signed a ten million dollar contract up there uh, with WGN. He was he was. He was what made the money. The morning show is what makes, you know, forty percent of the money for the radio station, and he was very, very good at it. I remember the day he died. I was, uh, I was doing the afternoon show, and I got into the station about eleven o'clock or something. I was walking up the steps, up the back steps, from where I parked my car. Uh, Bobby was walking down the steps, and uh, you know, we we exchanged pleasantries, and and I said, "What are you going to do?" He says, "I'm going to go flying." I said, well, all right, nice day, have fun. As he passed me, I goosed him on the butt. I always did that because he, he giggled like a little kid. He just uh, he, had a, he had a funny laugh. And I, and I goosed him on the butt, and he giggled. And he says, I think I love you. And I said, get out of here, have fun. And that was it. Later on, while I'm on the air, we started to get some information that there was a mid-air collision up in Waukegan. And... Uh, and they weren't sure who they were, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, geez, Bob was flying today, and that's what he flies out of is Waukegan. And so when they told us what kind of plane it was, it was a, it was a strange plane. It wasn't a typical, uh, you know, make and model plane. It was a fancy uh, sports car of a plane, if you will. And when they said what it was, I thought, my gosh, that's Bob's, that's Bob's plane. And then we heard the news. Uh, pretty early on, that Bob had died. He he and the and the guy was that was flying with him died along with the uh, student pilot who was flying the other aircraft. They they had all died in the mid air collision, and we we knew it early, uh, but we didn't we couldn't say anything until his wife uh, Christine was notified. So that was the one time where we were getting beat to the punch with the. With the news, every every other station had the fact that it was Bob, but we were not going to say it until we were told that his wife had been notified. And then when she, you know they, when they told us that she had been notified, we went on the air with it, and it, it was it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I still get choked up talking about it. It's just uh, how, do you, how do you tell you know Mid America that. That the guy they listened to all the time, the number one rated guy in, in the Midwest, was 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 dead just like that, and he wouldn't be on tomorrow. So uh, you know it, it, that was very hard to do, and I, I quite honestly, it, I don't even remember a lot of it to be honest with you. So uh, I after we after I got off the air that night, they said uh, we want you to come in tomorrow and do the show, Bob's show in the morning, and I thought, oh man, how do I do that? But uh, but I did I did I managed to get through it didn't sleep much that night before but uh, uh, it, it was national news I you know we were doing interviews with all the all the news channels uh, everywhere 
And then sometime later, I was given his job as the official morning show replacement. And I never really thought it was my show for a while. It, it took about a year to, to really make that my show. It, I always felt like I was filling in for Uncle Bobby. I, I, always, I always felt like I was just a filling host. Uh, and I, and I, my goal was not to sink the ship. There was so much involved in that morning show, so much money riding on it. You know, a $40 million revenue in the morning. You know, I just, please, I don't want to screw this up. So there was a lot of that going on, but after a while, it got more comfortable, and uh, quite honestly, we did we did pretty well. So I, I'm very grateful for that. You're listening to ChicagoBroadcastingNetwork.com. This is just a reminder to please like, share, and subscribe to our podcast or website to be reminded when new content is added. Be sure to listen to our monthly summary of Chicago neighborhood news extrapolated from Inside Publications, three local newspapers, Inside Booster, News Star, and Skyline. As always, if you need video production for your business or organization, check out renoweb.net. Let us know what you think of our podcast. If you're an author and need a video trailer for your book or would like to be a guest on one of our programs, send an email to reno at renoweb.net. This is Connie Wilson on Weekly Wilson with Spike O'Dell, and we are we are strolling down memory lane. What triggered your decision to go to Chicago? Was it just the lure that this is Chicago and you just couldn't say no? Or well, uh, WGN was always that station. You know, I, I I didn't listen to it that much. I mean, I listened to it obviously with the Cubs because I was a big Cub fan as a kid. Uh, my dad listened to it all the time wherever we were driving around. Dad had it all in the car. So I, I, I even knew some of the guys that I'd end up working with uh, back when I was a kid. But, uh, uh, you know, I, uh, I, I wanted to be a Chicago Cub. I was going to be Ron Santo. Little did I know he'd become one of my good friends later on uh, working with the Cubs. They offered me a job. And when I was going to school, everything was compared to WGN. They always said, well, uh, I bet they don't do it this way at WGN, or this is how they do it at WGN. WGN was always the best of the best. It was, it was literally the top uh, one or two. It was, it was probably, I think it was rated number two when I got hired there in the nation as the second best station in the nation as far as revenue and ratings and stuff like that. Uh, so when they offered, I, I just I could not, I could not turn it down. I thought, you know, I'm taking this job. I may get fired. I may not last a year. Uh, I may not last six months, but I'll, at least I'll be able to say I've got it on my resume. So I took it, and thank God it worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and, th- and all of us feel that that's great, too, because uh, all the many years that, of enjoyment of listening to your programs, I know uh, people are constantly telling you that they miss you on the air, and, and WGN has changed. And, in fact, uh, as I asked you during the break, are you ever accused of, of having a crystal ball in, in regards to some of the things that have happened since your departure, which, again, uh, was 2008, so you know, gives us some time here. What What do the guys say to you that you used to work with when you see them now or talk to them now? Well, they they you're absolutely right. They did accuse me of that. They they called me Houdini. They always said, "How did you know when to get out of this mess?" Because shortly after I left, and, and remember, you know, the morning show it's a big deal. And when the morning guy is gone, that that's a major, you know, tectonic plate shift. In, in radio in a, in a city like Chicago. So this was their chance, WGN's chance, 
to try something different, go a different direction, which is what they did. They had uh, different people running the show when I was there. Uh, and I could see this coming. I didn't, I didn't really... I didn't really think it was going to go as sideways as it did after I left, but it, it certainly did. It, uh, uh, the management that was there, they, drew, they, they drove a lot of uh, listeners away. Uh, ratings severely suffered. Uh, revenue went down. I, and I'm not saying that's because of me. I, I'm saying that's because of what management did and the changes they did and the direction they were taking it. It was a dark era for WGN at that time. And I'm happy to say they've, uh, they've, they've, they've fixed a lot of that. You know, radio's got to change. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's like they say with a shark. If a shark doesn't move in the water, it's going to die. So radio has to keep moving. It has to adapt. It has, it's going to change. It, it, it can't be the way it was 30 years ago. It's got to evolve. I get that. Uh, but when, when you just take a shotgun to it and blow it all up, you know, I, everybody was thinking, what, what are you guys doing? <laughs> you know, what's going on up there? So that, that's kind well, of what was happening. And everybody said, how did you know when to get out of there at that time? And I really, I did not. I had always planned to leave at age 55. I told everybody I worked with, I'm gone. I'm out the door when I'm 55. And I did. And that's how that worked. I do have a question for Spike because I know that he has some absolutely darling grandchildren in Nashville. And my first question was, do they know what you used to do for a living? Uh, a couple of the older guys do. And they keep coming up to me and they keep saying, uh, they call me dude, by the way. I'm not, I'm not granddad or grandpa. I'm dude. I'm grand dude. Uh, that's what they've been calling me since... Uh, uh, you know, ten years ago when they were born, they just they they call me Grand Dude, but that's been shortened to Dude. So they had to come up. And they say, <clears throat> "Hey, Dude, we were at the library at school today. They were in fifth grade, you know, and we saw your name on the internet. There's a lot of stories about you." And I said, "Don't believe everything you read on there, either, young man." They don't ever quote the "Hey, there's a beverage here." From, from that's the other dude. <laughs> I, that was just uh, it just popped into my head when you said that. So they know what you do for a living, and do they ever express a desire to follow in your footsteps? I don't think so. I, I would I would try to talk them out of it. To be honest with you, I uh, uh, it's different. Radio is just really different than it used to be. But uh, I, I I don't think they have that interest. When I was a kid, I had a shortwave radio in my bedroom, and I would listen to radio stations all around the world, and I'd listen to the ham radio operators and this and that. And I've always had a, a shortwave radio station. And I set it up here when I retired and moved out here, and I had it in my office, and I was listening one day to the ham, or to the, uh, yeah, to the ham broadcasters on shortwave, and I thought, what the heck am I listening for? Why don't I get a license and talk? So about five years after I retired, I got a ham radio license. I've never had so much fun with a ham radio, with an amateur radio. I have talked all over the world. I have talked to Antarctica. I've talked to Siberia. I've talked to the North Pole. I've talked to the space station as it flies over. I've talked uh, to Guam. I've talked to Japan, everywhere. It is so cool with a little wire and uh, you know a little bit of power. You can talk to anybody all over the world if they have a a ham radio license. So I've enjoyed that, and I've tried to get the kids involved with that. And I don't even think they're interested in that. You know, why go through all that trouble 
to hear somebody's voice crackling from Japan when all I got to do is pick up the uh, the iPhone and FaceTime them. That's that's the mentality there, you know. Yeah, so yeah. I, I don't think they're they're and, and to me, you know, the beauty of ham radio is kind of like. Uh, like a hunter going on a big game hunt. You got to check the wind, the temperature, uh, the clothing you wear, uh, how much the the, the ammo is going to drop after you fire at this and that. And that's kind of ham radio. You got to kind of predict where you're going to aim your signal to get the guy you want to talk to. So it, it's kind of like that. It, it, there's a hunt to it. So that's the beauty of radio for me. You know, I told you earlier I was going to ask you what kind of music you would prefer to. I, I'm mourning my Rolling Stones tickets, which crashed and died in Austin. I don't know whether they'll ever, in three years, they'll probably all be dead and won't be able to play there. But I bought tickets to hear them for the 12th time or something. So what do you play? I love uh, I love all kinds of music. I actually play the guitar. I actually play the keyboard. Uh, I, I, I play uh, several different things. But... Uh, as far as, are you asking me what I listen to a lot? Yeah, but, you know, when you're at home and you can turn on whatever you want, what would you listen, who would you pull up on, your, what would be on your uh, list of preferred plays? Well, I'll tell you, and, and, and this is not a cop-out, but I don't listen to a lot of music. I really don't. I played so much music growing up on the air, you know, in the Quad Cities at uh, at uh, WQUA, KSTT, Kick, WBT. I don't turn the radio on to hear music anymore. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't even turn the radio on much anymore. You know, I, I might do something uh, going down the highway on vacation. I'll turn the you know the, the satellite radio on or whatever. But uh, I'm a big Beatles fan. I'm a big '60s uh, fan and '70s fan. When I got to Nashville, uh, a friend told another friend who was running a station down here that I was down here, and he was all over me like a like a like a big dog trying to get me to to go to his radio station and take a shift there and play, uh, you know, rock and roll music again, 60s and 70s and 80s stuff. And I said, no. And he said, why not? I said, I, I, I've been there. I've done that already. I said, I, I don't want to play it again. I, you know, I, I just, I've already done that. If I hear uh, uh, Good Lovin' by the Rascals one more time, I'm going to throw up or more than, more than a feeling by Boston. Good grief. I've never heard that song so much in my life. And it came out 35 years ago, almost 40 years ago. And I just, I, 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 uh, I've been there. I've done that. I don't want to do it again. So I, I really, I don't even turn music on that much, quite honestly. And this is Connie Wilson back with Weekly Wilson and Spike Odell or Spike at the Mic. And I'm going to ask him to comment with the uh, first. Of all, I'm going to thank him for coming on and invite him back anytime and uh, ask him to comment on this quote that I dug up out of the archives. Quote Everywhere I went in radio, I had to prove the critics wrong. So you had four minutes and change. You probably have three minutes uh, before the next uh, check out. So go for well, it. You know, that was true. Every, you know, pretty much. Pretty much everywhere I went, yeah, you know, starting at KSTT, I heard uh, I heard the talk uh, down the hall. Well, wait, what they hire this guy for, you know? And, and I and I would always think, uh, wh why don't you trust me, or don't please don't underestimate me? And I I would make it my my life's job at that station to prove them wrong. You know, when I uh, when I went to uh, WBT in Charlotte. Uh, they they thought, what are you bringing a Yankee down here for to do this down here? You know, uh, he, he won't be able to do it. And, and they might have been right there because uh, I, I only lasted a couple of years there, but that was 
it was my own doing to get out of there. But uh, in Chicago, my gosh, you know, uh, the the critics in Chicago, it's just you're, you're like walking into a firing squad there. The newspapers, uh, everybody else on the other stations, they hear you. They just, no, they just rip you apart. You know, you got to have some pretty thick skin. you got to let the water run off your back. But, uh, yeah, I'm not going to lie either. It hurts sometimes. But every 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 station I went to, I was just, they, they, they just always said, this is not going to last. And even when I took the morning show for Bob, after working for 13 years on the air as the afternoon host, they said, he can't do it. He won't do it. Uh, the newspapers were full of it, too. And, uh, and I thought, you know what? You people are going to be proved wrong. I'm going to prove you wrong. And, I, and you, you know, did. I, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, not to, again, I hate to sound so arrogant, but I think I did. I proved it I wrong. think you did, too. I, I, we all miss you. Uh, I know that uh, it hasn't been the same around here. And that, that, that was back in the early 80s. So we, we, the whole town is, uh, I, somebody's going to put up a sign that says, well, the last person out, please turn off the lights if we lose much more here. The pandemic has not been kind to us here. And I, Nashville, which got hit by the tornado, is not doing as well as we would like either. Thank yeah, you so much for it. Yeah, it's, yeah, bad, it's bad. And I really really appreciate your taking time away from your lake and away from your painting. I want to thank you again. I know that the listeners from this area had the opportunity to know you'd be on, so I hope that they were listening. But uh, thank you very much. I think it was a good show, and it'll be up soon on weeklywilson.com and also on the Bold Brave Media Global Network. Thanks a lot, Spike. This has been Weekly Wilson with your host, Connie C. Wilson. You've been listening to the BBM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company. This podcast episode interview content is derived from a recording originally co-produced and distributed by Bold Brave Media Talk Radio, used here with permission of Connie Corcoran Wilson. This is Reno Lovison, executive producer at ChicagoBroadcastingNetwork.com. I hope you enjoyed this interview by Connie Corcoran Wilson, and will take the time to like, share, and subscribe to our podcast or website to be reminded when new content is added. Thanks to Steve Solomon for the use of Foster Avenue Beach as our theme song. That's okay. We're going home.